Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. It's the first night of Pascha, and the readings for the the readings during Holy Week are not very happy readings. Sorry, are not very happy readings because this is not the the week of Taptaba, uh, right? This is the week where we're being confronted. Um, with everything that happened to the Lord and all in this, right? For the readings that we just read tonight, um, if you look at all the prophecies, and you're going to see this theme continually, especially tonight, again on Great Friday, um, and on Thursday is this constant theme of the day of the Lord. And so usually I like to tear apart the readings, but I might this year instead go a little bit thematically of different kinds of day of the Lord. And I'll explain what the day of the Lord means in a moment. But at its base, the day of the Lord is your day of reckoning, the day of coming face to face with God. And it's something that we don't like, and it's something that we don't like to talk about, um, and we tend to want to avoid. And most of the year, we like to talk about how nice and, and fluffy and cuddly God is, and He can be. Um, but we don't like dealing with what it's like when we've gone wrong. And this is the time of year where we talk about that explicitly, right? Where the readings are not hiding from it. There's not a, I feel like the readings of Holy Week these days we'd be embarrassed about because they're not the just give, give me a hug kind of readings and we tend not to like those. But this is the time of the year to talk about that. I want to frame it maybe with analogy of what the day of the Lord is, is like, okay? Imagine if you're trying to build a staircase, right? And as you're building the staircase, you decide to cut corners. And you build it, making it able to bear the weight that you think is normal, right? That you think you can get away with. But when the weight comes that you weren't planning for, an overweight visitor comes, or you gain weight, or five people are on the stairs all at once, or you're moving furniture, you're not expecting it, and suddenly it collapses because it was not built for that. You built it wrong, right? That's the day of reckoning of that staircase. That's the day of the Lord for that staircase. It's the day that the lie, no matter what, no matter what the intention was, is exposed, right? This is when it becomes clear. The only way that there can be an objective day of reckoning is if we're able to say that something was supposed to be in a particular way, right? You can only confront something and call it wrong if there's an actual right, right? There's, otherwise, it's just random to call anything wrong. You can only predict something if it's based on something true, right? If there's not real laws of physics, I can't expect the staircase to behave in a particular way. Right? But because there's real things, that's why we can predict it. So what I mean is, if you had never said the staircase can take up to 500 pounds, there's nothing to test. Right? If there wasn't a, a, a reality to how much weight it could take, there's nothing to test. But because there's a supposed to, there's a confrontation. Right? There's a questioning of whether that is true. And so what I'm also trying to say is that when you design something, you can make a claim about it. It's only if something has a design, or in other words, that it's not random, that we can test it. 
If nothing was true in the world, we wouldn't be able to predict anything. But because things can be true, we test them. And that's, for example, why scientists claim what scientists claim to be doing about material things. So why this farsafa? Why this philosophizing? If we're claiming to be created, and that we're created with a purpose, then there's a day of reckoning. Because I was created to be something. Right? For that reason, there's a day of the Lord. If I'm supposed to be something, but I'm not, we'll find out on the day when I'm called into question about whether or not I am that thing. Right? And that's what we like to avoid all year long, but it's the reality that has to be brought in. If someone claims to be someone's friend, you can claim it all you want. Right? It's easy to say you're friends with somebody. The day of reckoning on your friendship is when the other friend says, I need you right now to be friend, and you say, I can't, or I won't. That's the day of reckoning for that test. And this week, the church is stepping back, stepping back out to say, have you forgotten that you were created to be something? First reading tomorrow morning, morning pasta is going to be Genesis 1, to bring back to your remembrance that you were created to be something. She puts for us some of the scarier readings, because it's a solemn time to remember that because we weren't willing to be that someone, because of that specifically, because we were not willing to be who we were meant to be, we killed our God, right? That is what we did. And it's not something, obviously, that we can be very huggy about. The Lord spoke in history over and over, telling us that he would be coming. But we didn't listen, we didn't take heed. And so we're sitting here reading these scary readings. The Lord came and we didn't recognize the day of his visitation. That should be scary. We see that the Lord, in spite of us, made it into a day of rejoicing on Sunday. But that doesn't take away from the fact that we were all together in error and shouldn't have been in fear. Said differently, we couldn't demand our Lord to fix the staircase for us. Right? That's what we're often doing. You're saying, Lord, you're the one who should fix the staircase as though he's the one who messed up the staircase. We, shouldn't, we should have been fearful for the number of people breaking or dying or being injured when we were building it wrong, is what we should have been, instead of yelling at God to fix it. We can't take credit for his love, but what we deserve for our foolishness is the consequence. Right? Just because God doesn't deal with us as we deserve, doesn't mean we should not be ashamed of when we behave wrongly. So I want to meditate a little bit, at least next few days, on the different visitations of the Lord we see and some of the themes of the reading and how we might be doing that ourselves. This morning was Palm Sunday. We sang with joy, we spread palms with the ancients along the way. We sang with great joy and rejoicing over and over this, the hymn of Evlogimenos. And what was the cause of our joy? the good times and then sometimes because of wrong expectations. Sometimes we're happy because of a wrong understanding. First is the good times. The people of Israel were excited. Here's somebody who yesterday in, 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 the, in the Holy Week of our Lord raised someone from the dead, right? That had never been seen before in that way. We saw incidents of, of, of re resurrections or of raising up of a dead person, but never by commandment of the person's worth. Right? Christ almost went out of his way to not say, God, when he spoke to the Father before doing it, please, you do this. He didn't. It was very intentional that he's saying, I'm saying, Lazarus, come forth. 
right? On my authority, I'm giving you life as God. This is like the friends of the prodigal son. When he left his father's house and had loads of money, he was the life of the party, right? Everything was on him, drinks on him, parties on him, right? They're now associated with the celebrity. And the celebrity had means, right? The celebrity was able to fund their party. Access to the celebrity meant hookups, prestige, boasting rights, more followers, right? This is how the people are feeling about Christ on that day, right? He's the celebrity. He's the guy who raised the dead. He's the guy who stands up to Pharisees. He's the guy who knows stuff. He's the guy who does miracles. I want a connection, right? This is where they're coming in from. And in good times, we do what we think the other person wants in so far as it does something good for us. It's an unspoken exchange of you scratch my back, I scratch yours, when you're equals. But if you're a nobody affiliated with the celebrity, it's more like I'll scratch for every need as long as I get to cash in on your benefit somehow. Right? This is how the people were dealing with Christ, and I believe we do all the time. And I'm not saying never enjoy good times. Right? That's not what's being said here. Contrarily, do enjoy those times. It's just that the enjoyment of good, but instability in bad, is the real test, the real day of the Lord. And we'll return to this. So part of the joy of the people around Christ today was, it was a good time. Right? Everything looked good. It was his moment to them, his moment of glory. St. John says that his moment of glory is the cross. Right? It's going to be a completely paradoxical thing. So part of it was this reveling in the, in the, in the moment. But the other part of their, their joy, a wrongly placed joy, was because of their wrong expectations. They looked at the data, real data, and they interpreted it wrong. Right? They looked at their history, their own history, and they thought that the Messiah, when he would come, would be the restorer of the kingdom. That was their assumption. Right? So part of their excitement is, here's the guy. Right? This is why they called him the son of David. They're, they're trying to validate their point even more. Here is the descendant of David. Right? We've got our king. Right? Because after the exile, there was this understanding that there would be only one king for all of Israel. There would no longer be a divided nation. And that the ruler of the kingdom had to be a descendant of the tribe of Judah. So it's not by accident that they're singing, here's a guy from Judah. Right? They're very, very excited. They want to make it clear that he's of the royal lineage. In their interpretation, a good God would be secular like them. A good God would make them be mightier than their enemies. A good God would make them richer than all the other nations. The good God would hook them up, hitab-tab and coddle them and make them better than everybody else. And their way of making sense of the bad times was just that they misbehaved, right? They thought that things were only bad if they messed up on something, and so they started to treat the relationship like a bunch of transactions, right? Wait, this didn't go as expected? It couldn't be that I'm wrong, right? It must be that I angered him, right? It must be that I messed up on something because it's not possible that I could be wrong. But their joy, as we said, was based on these wrong expectations, so they fell apart on the day of the Lord. They fell apart when they were confronted because they were wrong. What they thought wasn't the truth. 
how they felt about things was of no value because the truth exists, right? It didn't matter how they felt about the truth, it mattered what was true. And I believe we do the same as the above all the time. We're happy in the good times. We like God when God is behaving, when He's doing the things that we want or expect Him to do. If things go our way and we're hooked up. If I get into med school, every Coptic person's dream. If I get a bonus at work, if I get something good, then I'm okay with God. It's also why I think we try to bribe Him when things aren't, aren't going well, right? As if God needs our stuff. I remember in 2015 when the martyrs of Libya became known. Suddenly, everyone was proud to be a Copt. Everyone. Suddenly, we had sad faces to the public. Yes, we've always faced outrageous persecution and we've survived. We are the nation of the cross. And yet, when it's socially a disadvantage to be a Christian for whatever social reason, you'd rather figuratively and sometimes literally put your cross away. When the martyrs were being celebrated, they were your heroes. When things were not so comfortable, we decided to tuck them away. We often like him when it's secularly to our advantage. And we also often have wrong expectations. We have formed an identity around transactions just like they did. If I pray to Zbaha, God will praise me. Who said? When did God ever say, say nice things to me? He never A, demanded our praise, and definitely never said, praise me and I'll praise you. Right? That was never a part of, of what was said. We think if I pray about something, I will definitely get it no matter what, even if it's wrong. Right? Even if it's bad for me. If I want something, he'll do it. And then we go to random Bible verses, decide what they mean, whether personally or culturally, and start upholding them like dogma. We start looking for signs that he's acting as we expected, and then get excited, Palm Sunday, when things look like they're going the right way. Right? They'll be like, aha, aha, look, he's, he's doing what we thought. Right? We speak loudly of his glory and our expectation. Then, if he fails to perform by our standards, we throw him away. We saw this just in the last hour of, of St. Peter, right? He was like, you're the Messiah, got excited, right? And then when Christ said, yeah, and the Messiah is going to suffer and die, he's like, no, right? You, you, that's, that's not the plan, right? That doesn't fit what we expect of the Messiah, so no, you're mistaken, right? There's an immediate outrage at this. When it says, and the disciples were distressed, the last verse of the gospel we just read, I question whether they were only distressed for the Lord or for what would become of them if what he said was true. Right? There's a selfishness that we have in it. On the day of the Lord, when he doesn't perform the way that we thought because he is who he is, right? He's not conforming to us. We tend to throw him away. We become the people who shout, crucify him. Because he didn't perform, he didn't live up to our standards. The day of the Lord when your lie was exposed. It doesn't matter the intention of the lie. It was that you're building on wrongness. Right? It doesn't matter where you meant it. It's not about being good or bad. Right? It was built on a lie. Your lie was exposed 
you preferred the lie rather than the truth, which we see when we choose Barabbas, an actual thief, over Christ. Is your life a mix of Palm Sundays and Great Fridays? Is that where you live your life, between those two days? Because the Lord actually wants resurrection, He wants Sunday, right? But do you live your life between those two days? Because we forget that we caused Palm Sunday and Great Friday by our wrongness. Palm Sunday and Great Friday were a response to our error. They were not ends of themselves. They were responses to what humanity did. The expectation of the people for the problem of sin and death, how did humans think they could solve the problem of sin and death? More sin and death, right? That was what they wanted to do. They wanted to fix an identity issue, a substantial issue, with material. They thought killing an animal could fix things. How ridiculous, but we all do this. They thought that a sign of being good was money, wealth, riches, right? That's the things that they wanted, right? That's what they wanted as a sign that they were good with God, as though that these were signs of goodness. We do this. The apostles did too. The apostles had their own fights. Who will be on your left and who will be your right and who's going to be the ministers, right? They wanted the hookups as well. If your understanding of God is a lie about what comes with being his child, then this day of the Lord that we're meditating on today is for you. Your day of the Lord will be hard because he didn't come to secularly make you rich. That wasn't the truth. The truth is he came to fix you, to restore you, not to decorate you, to fix you. He didn't come to put a covering over your weakness, but to fix it. He didn't come to say, oh, you're sick, let me put makeup on you and make you look healthy. He came to heal you. Cast away from ourselves our wrong identities, our wrong joy, our wrong expectations. Seek to know who you are and who he is, so the day of the Lord for you becomes a day of joy, not a day of fear. A person who lives in the light, the first, the first prophecy of the first hour, behold, I searched Jerusalem with a candle. Right, I was saying it's perfectly dark and I'm flicking on the light. The minute the light is on, all truth is, is seen. Right, whatever was hidden is immediately exposed. If you're living right, you like the light on. Right, your day of the Lord isn't a fearful one, it's a joyful one of saying, well, now we can actually have a good time. Right, things are as they ought to be. Question whether you know anything about God. And if you don't, start today. Right? Start seeking Him. Start reading about Him. Start asking about Him. Start talking to Him. Ask Him to reveal Himself to you more clearly and more fully. Seek to know Him, to understand, because in spite of you or I, He came for us. He came to give us life and life more abundantly. Then your joy will be full and real, and you will have no expectations because you know that he is our hope and our redeemer. To him be glory now and always and unto the age of all ages. Amen.